You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Oh, can I add my welcome to Eltham Baptist this morning? It's good to good to be together. Lord, we just continue in a attitude of prayer, asking now as we open up your word together that you would come and do that wonderful thing that you do week after week after week and speak to us by your spirit through the word. We honour you, we bless you, we praise you, we thank you so much for your living word. It speaks to us, it's like a two-edged sword, it cuts between bone and marrow, it gets right to the heart of the matter and And there are matters in our heart, Lord, that need your attention. So we invite you now to come because you're the gentle surgeon and come and minister your word to us. Here we are gathered with expectant hearts, eager to hear from you because you can be trusted. Thank you, Jesus. While I was away a couple of months ago, I tend to have picked up over time that one of the strategies of the enemy is to distract me. So I try to be as much in the moment as I, as I can. And I usually give um, Stephanie and Janet and the rest of the staff the heads up that, you know, don't try and get me by email, generally speaking. Um, they know how to get me, and I'm not going to tell you how to get me, but they know how to get me if they have to get me. But I try not to get distracted because I, I, I find myself, you know, if I open up that, that email, all of a sudden I'm pulled away from what I'm doing. I'm pulled away from that into all sorts of things that I really, really can't fix in that moment. But I had to, on this last trip, prepare for the next sector, which was the time in, in South Korea after, after ministry in, in Greece there. And um, uh, as I was just checking, checking the emails um, pertinent to that part of the trip, I did see another one which was a little bit curious and, I, and it was a little bit of a call for help and it was from a, from a good buddy of mine in another mission agency that I, I used to, to serve on the board for and, and I opened it up and usually when I, when I see emails you know, regarding this particular area of ministry, it's kind of with some excitement because I had been watching this ministry grow and grow and grow and the Lord do amazing things for many, many years. In fact... I'd sat down with many of the team leaders on multiple occasions. I'd actually been there and, and led training with them. And, and I was just rejoicing over this remarkable story about how this little ministry started, how it had grown, how it had been handed over to in, indigenous believers who had been raised up as leaders. And it was a fantastic story. And on this occasion, as I read the email, I realized, oh, all is not well. And I was being asked if I might be available to, to help with some conflict resolution and to help with some debriefing. And I remember just looking up from the email, which was kind of, you know, uh, it was a bit of a, bit of a skinny summary and, and looking up thinking there's more to this. And I remember thinking, what happened, Lord? What happened? They were going so well. What's happened there? Of course, I couldn't help on that occasion and, and so forth, but... But sometimes in ministry, we, we find ourselves, having celebrated wonderful things that God has been doing, we find ourselves lamenting 
the fact that somehow the evil one seems to have gotten in and, and been able to have more fun than he really should in, in just messing with things. And I guess as we're studying this whole area of, of imitating Christ in ministry, and that's part of our abide, the eyes for imitating Christ, and we've been particularly looking about well, how do we imitate him in ministry, we need to be aware of, of perhaps some of the well, some of the traps in ministry as well, some of the ways in which Satan tends to mess with us. We've been using the, the little analogy of, of the waiter, the, like a, a waiter in a restaurant, and, and that is because ministry, the word ministry, is best described in, in the English as, as a waiter. And we, we've been playing with the definition serving God as we serve others, serving God as we serve others. And, and ministry is... It's a, it's a life calling. It is all of our vocation for all of us. And it's not the thing that you do at certain times when you go to certain places. That's, that's kind of a, an old way of, of thinking and it's, and it's quite wrong, quite unbiblical. We need to kind of correct that and understand that ministry is that thing that happens anywhere. And Jesus loves to work through us all the time. And it may not necessarily look like what we might think it would look like. But that's ministry, is serving. It's like, a, like being a waiter in a, in a restaurant, although you were in the, the world's largest, largest restaurant. But sometimes things don't go well. And I wanted to look at a particular passage in John chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles with you, let's read this. It's, it's not a long passage. But of course, John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit of God and he was enabled to minister in a unique fashion. In the same way as many of the Old Testament prophets on whom the Spirit of God came to rest from time to time, we too have the Spirit of God, of course, within us. And so we can learn from the way in which John the Baptist was, was ministering, cooperating with his, with his father. In John chapter 3, Verse 22, we read this. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now, let me just pause there. We also, we also know from chapter 4, verse 2, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. Now, John also was baptising, verse 23, at Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water. And people were coming and being baptised. Now this was before John was put in prison. Verse 25, An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptising and everyone is going to him. Isn't that interesting? Verse 25, an argument developed. The Greek word there for developed is interesting. It doesn't, doesn't mean just, just popped up, sprang up, surprised, uh, suddenly. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, developed, it, it quite literally means it was, it was made or assembled. <laughs> this argument had been coming for a long time, like a storm brewing on the horizon. This had been coming for a long time. It had been brewing. Those who actually brought this to John the Baptist's attention, probably day after day, they'd been, they'd been noticing the numbers. 
playing the old numbers game, I tell you. There was a reason why David wasn't allowed to take a census. Got to be careful about getting caught up on numbers. And they've been watching the other side of the bank and they've been seeing that more and more people seem to be gathering over there and getting baptized by the disciples of Jesus. And so they were probably on the other side of the bank thinking to themselves, oh, (laughs) have we picked the wrong one? You know, more and more people are going over to Jesus now. Even though they had heard, and John had specifically said in chapter 1 verse 20, I'm not the Messiah. (laughs) Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one. He'd done his job well. It was not John the Baptist's fault. He had clearly told them. And in fact, they even state such. The one you testified about. They knew that. But still, it caught them by surprise. It caught them by surprise because the numbers were going over there. We had a staff retreat this week, well, it wasn't, wasn't really a staff retreat, but the executive had a particular prayer day. And, and as, we were, as we were praying, we, um, uh, this is a particular day of the year. We, we like to just ask ourselves really hard questions. And, um, and everything's on the table. Everything's up for grab in terms of church, organization, structure, the way we do everything. And the question came up because we'd been getting some input earlier in the week from a... Um, a congress on Jonathan Edwards, the American revivalist, and, and we've been getting a little bit of input and thinking about revivals and that sort of thing. So, so here was the question that we put on the table. What if revival came over there? <laughs> Not here at EBC. <laughs> what if revival came at another church? What if revival was, was just, you know, you know, not in a far-flung country where you, you know, where you kind of say, well, praise God, they really needed revival. But here in Australia, but, 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 but a suburb over this way or that way. Well, what if that happened? How would you feel? Hard question, huh? Well, typically, Sam, who is without guile, <laughs> just said, well, praise God. <laughs> Meanwhile, Brian, Andrew and I are till, still trying to strangle our humanity on the floor and wrestling with it. And go, I don't know how I'd feel about that. <laughs> Praise God for Sam. <laughs> Sometimes wonder if he's human. <laughs> they do say angelic beings are amongst us. He is human. Oh, yeah, he is human. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> I want to hear about this. <laughs> Hard questions. How would you feel? But it was the numbers game. Over on the other bank, all the crowds were going to Jesus now and, and John's disciples were a little bit concerned about this. And it developed day after day. You can feel it brewing and, and they're watching the numbers and then all of a sudden it erupts. The storm has come. Wow. You know, here's, a, here's just a couple of thoughts before we, before we move on. Personally, at a personal level, In your personal life, watch the horizon for those brewing storms. In terms of being a good minister, a a, a waiter, serving God by serving others. In terms of your own personal life, watch the horizon. Watch for those storms that are brewing in the distance. Don't ignore them because they will keep coming closer, I promise. And then one day, it will break. The storm will break. So watch them. And then when you see them brewings and when you see on the horizon of your life a storm coming your way, invite Jesus to still the waters. 
Invite Jesus to come out into the deep waters of your soul. Invite him to go to that place and to come and to calm the storm, to steal the waters, to, to help you understand what is going on here. Lord, why, why are emotions erupting in the fashion that they... Why is this happening? Please. The soul of a man is a, is a deep well. Who can fathom it? Jesus can. He can fathom it and he can calm it. He can do that for men. He can probably do it for women too. He's good at miracles. So invite Jesus to come and still the waters. Or we read on. The argument developed. Everyone's going to him. And then, and then John the Baptist, a wonderful example. John the Baptist, he, he says this, verse 27. To this John replied, I love this response. A person can receive only what is given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Well, that joy is mine. And now it is complete. He must become greater and I must become less. I love this reply. Isn't this fantastic? <laughs> Firstly, he notes, and it is good for all of us to, to note, that a person can receive only what is given. You or I, whatever your, your particular gift mix and personality is, it's been given to you and you can't do anything about that. You might love it. You might be learning to love it. But it is what it is. Is it right? Well, where did it come from? The hand of God. What do you think? It's right. It's right. God doesn't make any mistakes. Um, using more of a physical illustration, was I supposed to be six foot four or just a tad more handsome than I am? No, this is perfect. This is perfect. This is exactly how God wanted Stuart Hunt to be. I know, you're second guessing me. Well, don't. You take it up with God. I did and the answer was, no, perfect, Stuart. What's the problem? What, what, what's, what's the problem there? Any more handsome and, wow, <laughs> you'd be dangerous. So, <laughs> so I don't know what your lot is in life, but you need to learn to trust God. He, he got it right. Are you questioning him? Do you ever do that? You wicked people. Don't. Whatever it is that God has given, it's perfect. Why don't you just close your eyes right now and tell the Lord that. I agree with you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who I am. I thank you for the way you've made me. I thank you for that outer shell. I thank you for the inner being. And I thank you, it's perfect. You make no mistakes. I am perfect in your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Receive that? You want another shot? You didn't receive it. <laughs> receive it. Work on it. God makes no mistakes. Your lot in life is absolutely perfect. 
And if you don't be you, the problem is that nobody else is going to be. So you need to be you. And you need to enjoy being you. John the Baptist was very, very content, very secure in himself. A person can receive only what is given from heaven. And he knew that. He wasn't supposed to be doing somebody else's job. He wasn't supposed to be doing something else. He wasn't supposed to be on the other side of the bank. He was in the right position. Being faithful with everything that had been given to him. He had received something from the Father and he was obediently administering that grace. He was doing exactly the right job. We can't choose our, our giftings or our position in life. John understood this and he uses this wonderful little image. And he says, you know, the bride belongs to whom? The bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom, John the Baptist would be saying. This is not my wedding. <laughs> no wonder the crowds are going over there and the photographers are as well. And the confetti's flowing and the flowers are flowing and the celebration is raging and I'm glad because I'm the friend of the bridegroom and I couldn't be happier for him. This isn't my wedding, it's his wedding and the bride is meant for the bridegroom. So the bride gathering around the groom, perfect. That's exactly the way it's supposed to be. Isn't that a lovely, healthy perspective? All about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I know my role, I know my position, I know my contribution and I'm not running ahead of myself. I'm just fixing my eyes on the groom there and I'm so happy for him as any friend would be. It's his day. It's his big day. You know, we can't choose our giftings or our position in life, but we can choose to obey. That's a choice we have. In whatever your position is, whatever opportunities are before you, you can, in the situation you're in, choose to obey God. Choose to say, all right, Lord, what opportunities are before me? I, I choose to obey you in the midst of where I am. Who's, who's heard of Billy Graham? Who's heard of Norm McLennan? Doug, you have. You do know my granddad. 1959, Billy Graham Crusade. Largest crowd ever at the MCG, 130,000 estimated. Probably more. Everybody knows that. God used Billy in a powerful way. How did that crowd get there? Of course, they, they didn't have the, the same means of advertising and getting word around that, that we do nowadays. 1959, Everybody wasn't turning on their plasma and their internet and so forth, getting emails from various Christian groups saying, come, 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 which you would find in your spam folder. No, there was none of that. There was a more humble method. And Norm McLennan, deacon at Brunswick Baptist Church, Christian businessman, had a, had a business there on Sydney Road in Brunswick. Lovely, humble guy, very tall, would go out in the middle of the night with posters, Billy Graham posters. He'd be nailing them up, pinning them up, wherever he could, fences, lamp posts, anywhere he, where he could, light poles, 
pitting up posters for the Billy Graham crusade into the late hours of the night. He was doing it. He was, on the, he was on the committee for the Billy Graham crusade and there humbly with some posters and some tacks, he would be out there making sure the word got around. Everybody would know Billy Graham's coming to town. That wasn't the only role and ministry that Norm had. As I said, he was heavily involved in Brunswick Baptist Church. He was, he was uh, part of the Lay Preachers Association. Um, he actually lived very, very simply, a very, very simple life. But he owned three houses, one they lived in and then the other two um, were for missionaries, sort of just in transit, passing in and out, constantly filled with missionaries who just needed a place to stay for a short period of time and then move on. Lived a very, very simple life. Left a, a bunch of money. He would hate anyone to know about it. With the Baptist Union of Victoria Trust, it's still there for churches, for maintenance, because he's a very practical man. And then his family. When Evelyn Lorraine Williams circumstances were such that well she really ended up without a mum or a dad and at the age of 16 at just that critical critical moment he took her under his wing he and his wife and adopted her not officially but in every sense as their own daughter and so when she met Daryl some years later the habit was in their family to you know Norm wanted to buy um, his, his kids a, a car um, a brand new car, so they just, the one thing they didn't have to worry about, you know, have, is this newly married couple, was a car. They had a good car. And so he'd, he'd buy, actually, he'd buy them a good car, he'd buy them a good bed, because that just, that's just a good kick-off to a, to a good marriage. And the car was, um, I think most of the family were buying a H.R. Holden, 1966. And... Um, and so Evelyn, there was never a question about it, and Daryl got a car as well. There's never a question, wow, will we do it for them? They're not really there. Of course! She was his daughter. This is my new son-in-law. Of course! And so I had the privilege of growing up and calling Norm granddad and never thought anything of it. Never thought that there was no actual bloodline there or anything like that. Never even occurred to me that he was anything less than, than granddad. He had a different sort of a ministry to Billy Graham but left a lasting legacy of which even you now are the beneficiaries of. Isn't that amazing? Because of Norm McLennan's faithfulness. Norm knew his role. He understood what he had received from the Father and he was faithful in administering it. He was obedient. And praise God for, for the life of Norm McLennan. You know, in ministry, it really is more about our availability than it is opportunity. Opportunities abound. Sometimes, though, availability can be a scarce resource. And it is probably a, an illness that affects young people more but you can often be looking for the perfect opportunity to minister. Oh, if only I could have the right opportunity. I would flourish. If, if only the right opportunity was there, I, I know I could do more for God. It's not about the opportunity. It's about your availability. 
in the everyday, the ordinary, what the world would sometimes call the mundane. But that's often where legacies are built. And John the Baptist understood that. A person can receive only what is given. And then he goes on in verse 28. He says, I am not the Messiah. He's very clear about this. I am not the Messiah. He was very clear to point to Jesus. Jesus is the one. It's his wedding. He's the groom. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. How many of us in ministry fall into the trap of thinking that somehow this is going to, something's going to come back to me? That's human, isn't it? Jesus was very clear. I, I am not the Messiah. This is, this is not about me. In other words, he would have said, I'm just the waiter. I'm not the chef. Do you, do you like the dish? Fantastic. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you compliments to the chef. Please don't thank me. I, I'm the delivery guy. That's all. Where did I get the dish from? I got the dish from a bit. How did I know what to put? I didn't. I didn't at all. I didn't even know what that was. I've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> but you love it? Great. Came from, came from the chef. He knew he wasn't the Messiah. He knew where ministry came from. And we need to understand too that Hey, let's let's try to be the chef here. It can be a can be a little bit of a a little bit of a danger in this from from time to time. Sometimes we because we listen too much to the people that we're serving instead of listening to the chef. You know when that little bell rings, ding, and you know you go over the counter, you say, yeah, what what is it? It is this is for table fourteen. Whoa, really? Yeah, this is for table fourteen. Trust me. All right, you know. We don't question whether it's, is it gluten-free, is it, you know, whatever. The chef knows. He knows. Table 14, right, there it is. And it'll be perfect every time. We just listen for the bell. When we start to listen too much to the, to what people want, what people are saying, and so forth, we, we lose our edge. We might hear things like, well, I don't want this. I want what they had. Well, I tell you, there's only one way to give that person what they had. It's to do it yourself. And then we start to go down a, a terrible track of developing programs and things like that so that they're duplicatable. And so we can, yeah, what God did here, we can take that and we can... We can deconstruct it. We can reverse engineer it. We can make it up again and then we can deliver it over here in a duplicatable form and, and wow, we can save the world. Oops. We're not the chef. I'm not the Messiah. You're not the Messiah. There is only one Messiah. It's Jesus. We've got to trust that the Father is going to prepare unique dishes for everybody. And just be careful that we don't find ourselves dabbling in the kitchen by mistake. I'm trying to, trying to pander to people. I want to swap out the main for the dessert. Can I do that? Well, do you really want it? Yeah, I just want, I want dessert, and then I want dessert, then I want dessert. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's good for you. You know, hey, <laughs> we, we can start to pander to the crowds, and it becomes a needs-based ministry, and things go really, really wrong when that happens. We're going to keep looking to the chef. How do we know what to deliver? What, 
the bell just rang. What, what, what does the chef give us? What is this? Well, we just, we just deliver whatever it is that the chef makes. That's all we've got to do. We need to understand our role. So John the Baptist was very, very clear. I am not the Messiah. And then in verse 30, this is so, such a beautiful statement. He says, he must become greater and I must become less. He must become greater. How does he become greater? Can he be made any greater than he already is? Is he not great enough? He must become greater? It's really a matter of perspective, isn't it? He must become greater by my becoming less. Jesus can't become any greater than he really is at the moment. It's not like, and then when God fully matures and starts to walk properly, <laughs> no, I mean, God's not maturing. He's immutable. He's perfect and he never changes. No, the only thing is, we've just got to get out of the way. Hello, hello. Ministry is not about photobombing. We've got to just get out of the way. He becomes greater as we become less. Let's stop popping in. Hello, it's me. That's what John is saying here. You know what? If I can just get out of the way, you will see him for who he really is. He'll be glorified. The secret to ministry, success and satisfaction rests here. I'm going to tell you. In the pursuit of his glory. That's, that's a really hard conference to sell. You know, I, I, it's much easier to say, here are the six, one more, six steps to a successful and satisfying ministry. Come, come, and we'll serve coffee. Now that's an easy conference to sell. But no, I doubt anyone would have attended John the Baptist's conference on ministry success and satisfaction. The secret is the pursuit of his glory. That the, the God be glorified. He be the only one who is prominent, the only one on any platform, the only one who is exalted or elevated or promoted in, in any way. And sometimes, I tell you, this will be severely tested. Sometime later, John the Baptist would find himself in prison, languishing in prison, and he's hearing stories about Jesus, and none of it's making sense. He's hanging out with irreligious folk. Didn't see that coming. He hasn't yet overthrown the authorities. That's a little surprising as well. And what's more... He's just letting me languish here in prison. I haven't even had a postcard from him. And so all of a sudden, John the Baptist is asking himself, have I got it wrong? He sends a message by his disciples in Matthew 11, verse 2. We read it. Did I get this right? Are you the one or should we be expecting someone else? I mean... I, 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 I'm not sure anymore. And sometimes, in ministry, we can sometimes feel severely, severely tested. I, I recall um, in South Korea, 
I'd spent oh, probably about three or four weeks at probably some cost to the family. I was away from the family for that period of time. Um, I, I, I can't remember. I, I think it was um, something like uh, 40, 40 churches in 20 days or something that, that myself and a little team were going to. Um, on behalf of OM to prepare for the ship's visit. And I, I made all, all these beautiful acquaintances and friendships which, you know, were still uh, keep in touch with some of these folk today. And, uh, and the ship finally came and, and uh, the lineup team there, which, which included, by the way, Kenny Gann, um, who some of you know, um, the lineup team there had done a fabulous job and they were having to open the ship, sort of cut the ribbon, um, none other than the, the first lady, the wife of the president of South Korea. This was a huge deal. And I, re, I recall, you know, uh, the day that she was, she was coming to the ship to open it up and we, we saw little groups of snipers up on the buildings, that sort of. There was little um, uh, rubber dinghies going around the, the doulos looking for bombs and so forth and divers going underneath. It was, it was a huge deal. And then there was this, this special dinner um, and uh, the ship's leadership were, you know, a, a, a segment of them were going to attend this dinner and so forth. And I guess I had just assumed that because of my role, bad me, but I had assumed that, yeah, well, they would probably want me at the dinner, won't they? You know, because <laughs> I've been doing this stuff for them and I don't know. I didn't get an invite. And I was thinking... Oh, that's odd. You know, um, just wondering, let me check the emails again. And I checked the emails again and so, oh, this is a bit awkward. I kind of thought that I would, yeah. Anyway, as the, the day before, as the, as the day where it became quite obvious that, no, 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 no one had overlooked me. I just wasn't invited. <laughs> and, and I remember all of a sudden having um, just a little bit of, a little bit of a crisis and I went to my office you know that morning and uh and and I was in my in my suit without the jacket just in case there had been a muck up because I really couldn't couldn't quite fathom how how somehow I hadn't been invited to the dinner and I sat down in my chair and and I thought no no nobody's overlooked me suck it up princess you have not been invited to the dinner and I remember just having this, this little moment, a little, little bit of insecurity creeping in there, thinking, why not? What did I do? I was, you know, and, and so on. And you can probably understand how the conversation goes because in another context, somehow you probably had a similar situation. How was it that I seemed to get overlooked? And um, just to add injury to insult, there was a knock on my door and... And yes, and somebody who worked, you know, sort of for my, for my team um, said, oh, you're here. Um, oh, listen, this is a bit awkward, but you've got to leave the office. Oh, how come? I've, I've got a bit of work to do and it doesn't look like I'm doing anything else this morning. You know, and they said, oh, no, well, it's just a security issue because the first lady may or may not walk up through the office areas and the security just have to know that all the offices are cleared. And I, and I, I remember saying, well... What if I shut the door and lock the door because I, I, I just really need some time? Now, what I didn't say was, I need some time to work out what's wrong with my heart. <laughs> and, 
And uh, this, uh, this friend said, oh, yeah, that's okay. Well, just make sure you don't come out. We wouldn't want to ruin this. <laughs> and Shakti said, it was a great. <laughs> I wasn't already feeling about that small. Now I'm just squashed. And I cast my eyes across my deck, my desk where I had a number of, number of books. And there was one title along the binder that caught my attention by Andrew Murray. The title of this book was just one word. It was humility. <laughs> and I pulled that out and I thought, I think, Lord, you want me to read about this, don't you? And he did. It was to be a lesson in humility, a lesson in finding out that I am not the Messiah. Jesus is the one. I'm just a servant. I'm here to, to serve. You know, what helps us in this regard, I, I think, and it's, it's good to under, understand this, is um, in life, your, your security is Jesus. When, when the doulos would come alongside, and uh, because it was a, a, single, a single propeller ship, it was very, very limited. It, it took quite a bit of skill, actually, to bring this 6,000-ton ship alongside a quayside. And you had to take into account currents and all sorts of things. But as you would come in alongside... Um, one of the, um, the deckhands would be right up there at the bow and he'd have this, this guideline, this guide rope and it'd have some sort of a, a tennis ball or something attached to it and, and just, just a, thin, a thin line. And he would throw that to somebody on the quayside who'd receive it and then once they had that line, then you would throw the mooring line over the, over the top because it was a very, very heavy, thick rope. You'd throw the mooring line over and he'd slowly pull up the mooring line and tie it up to the, um, the bollard and, and then the ship, would, the ship would position itself. And you know, there's a sense in which all of us, you know, the, at, the, at the, the bow of our life, we have this opportunity to secure ourselves to something that won't change. And of course, well, well that's the key side, which is, which is Jesus, the anchor point that will not shift. Sometimes when we feel insecure in life, I, I think it's because we've we're being tempted to, to make these associations with other things, maybe a ministry opportunity. And we, and we throw our mooring line out to a particular ministry. We make an association with that ministry. Oh, yes, um, my name's Stuart, and, uh, well, I'm the, I'm the lead pastor of Eltham Baptist Church. And people say, what? I say, don't worry. <laughs> Eltham Baptist Church, I thought you may have heard of it. Don't worry. Anyway, but, but we associate ourselves with ministries. It happens very, very easily. Or this, or this. Or I, I sit on the board of such and such, or whatever it might be. We throw our lines out. I, I work for such and such. Oh, really? Aren't they in the Forbes top 10 or 50 or 100, 500? I don't know. Isn't it? The Time magazine brings it out, doesn't it? You work for them? Wow! We build these false associations, not realizing that they're but other little boats. What happens when you tie yourself to another boat? Well, if you're both floating, you just both happily disappear over the horizon into the sunset. You're not actually tied to anything stable at all. And we need to be diligent in life and go around and kind of look at what are the associations and things that we've falsely tied ourselves to. You know, whoa, it was too much. Too much association there with, with being, being this or that or this or that or this, whatever. Cut them off. 
cut off all those false associations that we can get so haughty about sometimes because they will drag you away. Could be marriage, could be family, could be ministry, could be the workplace. Who you know? What football team you followed? Not a problem for me. Could be any of those things. We love associations. They define us, don't they? Wrongly. They will all float away and take you with them. None of them are worthy of you being tied to except for Jesus Christ. And if you happen to be tied to him and something else, you are going to feel this pull and tension on your life that is unhealthy and unholy. Snip it. Cut it loose. Let it go. And then likewise, let's be, let's be gentle with one another in church too. Let's be, let's be careful not to throw one another lines that should never be thrown to each other. Let's not, let's not put people on platforms which they're going to fall off. It's just not helpful. Be careful about how we talk about one another, how we talk about ministries, how we talk about people. Let's make sure we're not elevating anyone but Jesus Christ. Let's exalt him alone. Only Jesus is worthy of our praise. Only Jesus should be exalted. It's all about him and John understood this. And I think John would have been very careful in his language, very careful about how he spoke of various things happening throughout the Christian world. Very careful to not put anyone on a pedestal but Jesus Christ, to not sing anyone's praises but Jesus Christ, to not anchor himself to anyone but Jesus Christ and not lead anyone astray but lead them instead to Jesus Christ. This is practically difficult sometimes, isn't it? And sometimes I don't, I don't know necessarily how to do it. <laughs> and some of you, from time to time, want to... God has spoken to you. Maybe, maybe he's spoken to you through, through a sermon and, and you want to tell me that. And we're all fighting for the right language, aren't we? We're trying to work out how to say this. You want to say, God used you, Stuart, and I want to make sure that I don't get any sort of lines attached to me that I might get all of a sudden really excited about. <laughs> for my own sake. Because I need to make sure that I'm anchored only to Jesus Christ. But, but the same in you, with your ministries as well. We've just got to find the right language, don't we? Praise God for the way that he, was used, uh, he has used you. Something like that. But just always point to Jesus. Always, always praise God. Always make sure that, that he is the only one in our conversation and in our speech that gets exalted. For your sake and for my sake. You know what I mean? And just by the way, if anyone has said thank you for a sermon and, and kind of felt this awkwardness as I'm searching for how to respond, I, I don't remember it. You're not, it's not in my mind and please be sure you are not an illustration right now. <laughs> it's all right. So I, I, I've just used that as, a, as an example. Um, the idea here though is that along with, along with John, we get out the way. We are excited about and we are sold out about God's glory and his glory alone. It's all about him. It's all about him. He must become greater and we must become less.
And then here's one last thought. Why does God use us in ministry when so much can go wrong? You know, it's sort of like a kangaroo with snowshoes in a minefield. So much could go wrong, huh? For God's part, let me say this. It's more about accommodation than it is validation. When God uses you in ministry, it is not to validate you. That would be some weird sort of existentialism. He doesn't use you to validate you, to to vindicate you or to somehow kind of say, look, see, I told you they were worth it. No, you're worth it because of him. Your worth is tied to Jesus. There's a friend of friend of mine, actually, you know, or many of you know, Chip Kirk, OMUSA. He was on my team in the US and he one day said to me, Stuart, I think because he's a little bit older, I was apologising to him one day that I was sort of team leader and I just said, Chip, my, uh, you know, I don't want this to be awkward, but my role is simply to serve you, to, to help you find utter fulfilment in ministry. And typical of Chip, he just said, oh, Stuart, I'm not even, not even thinking about that, not even on my mind. He said, I've come to that place in life where if Jesus asked me to just sit in a corner, face the wall and worship him for the rest of my life, that for me would be satisfying. You know, he didn't need to do ministry to validate himself. That's what he was saying. When God uses us in ministry, really he's accommodating us, not validating us. (laughs) He knows what can go wrong. He knows the potential for disaster. But he also knows the praise that is going to come his way by being able to take weak vessels and somehow administer his grace through them to accomplish great means, extend his kingdom and bring his name glory. And for that reason alone, it's worth it. It's a miracle, actually, isn't it? It is an absolute miracle. The grace of God flowing through us to touch the life of another. Wow. Wow. The probability of that actually working, I'll leave that to the mathematicians. So many go wrongs. But it happens. So what do we say? Praise God. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are just so thankful that you you have chosen us, that we are called to belong to you. We thank you for the example of John the Baptist and all that we can learn. And I think along with him, we want to say this morning, yes, you must become greater and we must become less. Amen, amen, amen. Lord Jesus, we want you to be glorified. We want to point people towards you. We want them to understand the 
origin and source of grace, that it, that it comes through us, but it doesn't come from us. That all of us are weak vessels in your hands and, and we just want to praise you and thank you for using us to serve the most wonderful, delicious and appropriate dishes that could ever be designed for all of humanity. And we just share with you the concern that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few and, and we know that you want to raise up more workers, more people who are available to minister and to serve your purposes throughout the world in the ordinary, everyday, mundane. And as you find us faithful in that, Lord, you know that you can open up more and more opportunities. So let it be, Lord. Would you find us faithful in the little so that we could be involved in the much for your glory, for your praise, and for your honor. Mm. This week, Jesus, practically speaking, would you show us those moments that we often overlook, those, those precious little moments where a divine appointment is just waiting. That one person that the world overlooks, but you don't. And suddenly they come to our attention. The oddest of moments. Perhaps the oddest of people. But you're in it. And you want to do great things to the one man or the one woman that is fully surrendered to you. Lord, I think it was D.L. Moody who said, the world has not yet seen what God can do through one person wholly surrendered to you. We want to be that person. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.